The earliest description of this disease is found in European folklore describing a child who tastes salty from a kiss on the brow. Can you guess which medical condition this referred to? As another hint, in the 1930s, the disease was alternatively referred to as mucoviscoidosis, referring to the presence of thickened mucus. The answer, cystic fibrosis. In the 1930s, cystic fibrosis was first recognized to involve abnormal mucus plugging at both the pancreas and the lungs. At that time, the life expectancy was less than one year. It wasn't until the 1980s that the protein defect in cystic fibrosis and the responsible gene were identified. With medical advancements, the median age of survival in 2019 for individuals with cystic fibrosis in Canada rose to 54 years old. Today, our patient has cystic fibrosis, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by medical residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled Cystic Fibrosis Unplugged. Time for our minute physiology. Cystic fibrosis, or CF, is caused by mutations in a single gene on chromosome 7 that encodes the cystic fibrosis transmembrane conductance regulator protein, abbreviated to CFTR. The CFTR protein functions as a chloride and bicarbonate channel. In addition to controlling the amount of salt that is lost in sweat, CFTR is responsible for controlling the water content and the pH of mucus secretions. Deranged CFTR function leads to dehydrated mucus and as such causes thick, viscous secretions that affects multiple organ systems. There have been more than 2,000 mutations identified at the CFTR gene that have the potential to cause disease. The most common mutation found in approximately 90% of CF patients is an F508 deletion causing deletion of the amino acid phenylalanine and severely impacting CFTR function. CF is autosomal recessive and thus clinical disease requires mutations in both copies of the CFTR gene. Those with milder mutations may develop limited disease known as CFTR-related disorder. Now that we've reviewed the basic physiology, let's talk about how cystic fibrosis is diagnosed. CF is the most common fatal genetic disease affecting Canadian youth. In Canada, it is estimated that one in every 3,600 children has CF. In many provinces, early diagnosis of cystic fibrosis occurs through newborn screening. This allows for earlier intervention and improved clinical outcomes. A newborn screen typically involves a serum immunoreactive trypsinogen assay. Trypsinogen is a pancreatic enzyme that may be elevated in infants with CF and pancreatic dysfunction. If trypsinogen is elevated, DNA analysis for common mutations in CF is then performed. Infants with a newborn positive screen also undergo a sweat chloride test to determine if they have CF. Patients with dysfunction in their CFTR protein will have elevated sweat chloride concentration. Levels greater than or equal to 60 millimoles per liter are indicative of CF. A diagnosis of CF is made if a patient has clinical symptoms consistent with CF in at least one organ system, a positive newborn screen, or a sibling with CF, and evidence of CFTR dysfunction by genetic testing or sweat chloride concentration. Now, let's pretend you are in a respirology clinic following a patient with cystic fibrosis. What will you explore on history? Recognizing that CF is a multi-system disease due to the presence of thickened secretions in the respiratory, GI, and reproductive tracts, we will review an approach guided by organ systems. We will start at the respiratory tract. Patients with CF commonly develop airway obstruction leading to a persistent, productive cough and chronic respiratory infections. 
Staphylococcus aureus, and Pseudomonas aeruginosa are two of the most prevalent pathogens. Recurrent acute infections or exacerbations and chronic inflammation of the lungs secondary to these infections can lead to bronchiectasis, massive hemoptysis, pneumothorax, and progressive respiratory failure. Other airway manifestations include chronic sinus disease and nasal polyposis. Key questions to ask on history should include change in dyspnea, cough, mucus production, and presence of fevers or hemoptysis. Next, GI manifestations of CF are a result of congealed mucus blocking ducts in the GI and hepatobiliary tract, often starting before birth. In the intestinal tract, congealed secretions may lead to meconium ileus in newborns and distal intestinal obstruction syndrome in adults. In the biliary tract, decreased flow can result in cholestasis, cholelithiasis, hepatic steatosis, and biliary cirrhosis. At the pancreas, prenatal autodigestion causes pancreatic insufficiency in roughly 85% of individuals with CF. Pancreatic insufficiency causes fat malabsorption, leading to fat-soluble vitamin deficiencies, malnutrition, and steatorrhea. Additionally, pancreatic insufficiency can result in inadequate insulin secretion. Up to 40% of adults with CF develop diabetes. Key questions to ask patients include characterization of bowel movements, changes in weight, and presence of abdominal pain. Finally, reproductive manifestations of CF include obstructive azospermia for males and decreased fertility for females. In males, the CFTR protein has been suggested to play a critical role in organogenesis of Wolfian structures, most commonly resulting in an absent vas deferens. In females, thickened cervical mucus and malnutrition may result in reduced fertility. Key questions to ask include previous challenges surrounding conception, as well as any future plans regarding pregnancy so appropriate counseling can be provided. Now to supplement your history, what are the critical investigations you should send when following a patient with CF? The most important test to monitor for respiratory disease progression is pulmonary function testing. Forced expiratory volume in one second is a predictor of survival in CF. Routine cultures of expectorated sputum should also be completed to guide antibiotic treatment when required for pulmonary exacerbations. In advanced CF lung disease, screening for hypoxemia, hypercarbia, and pulmonary hypertension is recommended. To monitor for development of pancreatic insufficiency, fecal elastase testing may be completed periodically. Low level of fecal elastase is suggestive of pancreatic insufficiency. Patients should also undergo annual screening for cystic fibrosis-related diabetes with oral glucose tolerance tests. To assess for development of hepatobiliary disease, routine labs with liver enzymes may be completed, with abdominal ultrasound if concerning findings. To monitor nutrition and bone health, growth parameters and labs including calcium, phosphorus, PTH, and 25-hydroxyvitamin D levels should be followed. Bone mineral density scans should be completed starting at 8 years old. Finally, how are patients with cystic fibrosis managed? Recognizing that CF is a progressive disorder and death is usually a result of respiratory failure, goals of therapy are to reduce pulmonary exacerbations and decrease the rate of decline in lung function over time. As recurrent pulmonary infections are the main driver of lung deterioration, all patients with CF are placed on individualized airway clearance therapy to improve the efficacy of the mucociliary escalator and promote sputum expectoration. This includes chronic mucolytic therapy with Dornase alpha and or hypertonic saline and chest physiotherapy. Acute pulmonary exacerbations should be treated with oral or IV antibiotics targeting the bacteria seen in sputum culture. 
Supportive non-pharmacologic management include pulmonary rehab, supplemental oxygen if hypoxemic, and nocturnal non-invasive ventilation if chronic hypercarbia. In severe CF lung disease, lung transplant is an important therapeutic option to explore. Early referral for lung transplant should be made when a patient's forced expiratory volume in one second falls to less than 40% predictive, is rapidly declining, or if there are other markers of shortened survival. For nutritional support, all CF patients should be provided with dietary counseling to review caloric goals. If oral intake is insufficient, enteral feeding may be considered. Pancreatic insufficiency should be treated with pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy and supplementation of fat-soluble vitamins. If CF-related diabetes is detected, appropriate management with insulin therapy should be initiated. Bone health should be optimized by ensuring adequate intake of calcium, vitamin K, and vitamin D. Until recently, all therapies in CF addressed the downstream consequences of CFTR dysfunction, but now there are also medications available that work to improve the functioning of the CFTR protein directly. These are known as CFTR modulators. All patients with CF undergo CFTR genotyping to determine if they are eligible for CFTR modulator therapy. CFTR modulators have been shown to improve forced expiratory volume in one second, reduce respiratory exacerbations, and improve quality of life. Let's finish with our medicine minute. Management of cystic fibrosis has come a long way since the disease was first recognized in the 1930s. Just in June 2021, Health Canada issued a notice of compliance approving a triple combination CFTR modulator, Trikafta. This includes two CFTR correctors, which facilitate cellular processing and trafficking to increase the amount of CFTR protein at the cell surface, and a CFTR potentiator, which facilitates increased chloride transport through CFTR. Simply stated, this CFTR modulator improves the functioning of the defective CFTR present in the most common CF genetic mutation, F508-DEL, and can help 90% of Canadians with CF. Research into gene therapy and strategies to treat the consequences of CFTR dysfunction continues to evolve and improve. Exciting new developments, updated practice guidelines, and funding plans for these therapies can be followed at cff.org or cysticfibrosis.ca. All right, that's all for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Cystic Fibrosis Unplugged. This episode was written by Dr. Rigia Aria, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Elizabeth Tullis, respirologist, and Dr. Michael Fralick, general internist. The Internet Work series was created and executively produced by Allison Lai, alongside executive producers Leah Karianopoulos and Zara Morali. This episode is recorded and produced by Leah Karianopoulos. Theme song by Lakshmi Santhamoan. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Internet Work releases podcasts every two weeks on Sundays. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.